Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Puerto Rican-American artist David Antonio Cruz. He is a multidisciplinary artist working in drawing, painting, video, and performance. And he is a professor of the practice in painting and drawing at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts University. I find David's work is very rich and its statements strong and beautiful visually. He creates ravishing paintings that capture the movement of brown and black bodies, gender fluid bodies, and queer bodies. His performance work is also stunning. One of many examples, David created the opera, a performance commissioned by Amusio del Barrio and was presented as part of Performa 13. It involved 30 performers, including 10 actors, an opera singer, and a jazz singer, and a small orchestra. That takes a great deal of brain power, and we should grant him bragging rights for sure. His work has been shown in a number of venues. He is collected extensively, and he has been recognized with several awards and fellowships. I will provide links to those on the website, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Studio Magazine, and many prestigious publications have also highlighted and featured David Antonio Cruz. I welcome him and am excited to share him with you all. Thank you, David Antonio Cruz, for joining me today on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. It's um, it's great to have you. Thank you for inviting me. So how are you feeling these days? It's been a crazy world we live in. Yeah, it's it's been a really challenging few weeks. Um, my heart is heavy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Been a really, really challenging time. I like many. Um, I feel exhausted and in pain. Yeah, yeah. We'll be optimistic. Be hopeful. Things, uh, things are going to change for the better. This, this, this revolution that we're living is is. Um, I do feel it's going to have a, a lasting impact. So let's talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> when did you discover your passion to to create art? I, that's interesting because I, I don't think there's ever been a time that I did not think of myself as an artist. It's, to me, I feel that it's always been intertwined with my life. Like I, you know, anyone that knows me from childhood would ask and say, you know, you would ask and say, well, what did David want to be? And it's just always the answer was to be an artist. I, um, it was strange. I'm not sure where that came from, but I was always fascinated by the act of um, 
of creating, making things. And so from an early age, I was always making art. It, it was, you know, I, I always say that it's probably the most comfortable thing for me, like writing, speaking. It's to me, making art is the most natural thing. And so, you know, there were times where I would say that I wanted to be an artist an architect and an artist, or um, I was interested in psychology and an art, you know, so it was always adjacent to being an artist. It was something that um, at an early age, I, I just felt that it gave me a space for me. Yeah. I didn't speak a lot. I didn't talk much as a child. I was, you know, it's shocking now for most folks, but <laughs> then I, I, I had a hard time connecting um, to people. I, you know, my parents had moved from Puerto Rico to the States and I, I was born in, in Philadelphia, but there was always this, this feeling of disconnection or that I didn't quite belong. And um, we were outsiders and um, I grew up feeling that way. And so that of course intensified the second that I started realizing that I was a queer person. And I spent such a long time hiding or being invisible for me, art allowed me to say the things that I wanted to say mm-hmm. and yet be removed. It was also something very special. It comes from you, you know, it's, it's in you, you know, and so it, it's a mark that's immediate because it's attached to my body and, and it was beautiful. And, you know, I remember being a little kid and going to elementary school and, you know, um, I didn't go outside. I oh, never, no, I never went to recess. I didn't like it. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt I was teased a lot. And so I didn't feel really comfortable. And so um, I was able to go to the art room and she had this gorgeous room. And I would spend my lunch time there and recess time there. I would go bring my food, make art. And I just, it was a space for me to make work. And um, I learned to love the history, love the actual process. And so I spent a lot of time by myself as a kid because of it. I mean, one of my favorite stories actually to tell is that when I was, um, I think I was like in fourth or fifth grade, I got in trouble. I, I slipped out of class early and decided to go to Mr. Ross's room. And my homeroom teacher came to the classroom, the, our classroom, and said, you know, um, David cannot stay today because David left my class early. And my punishment was to go outside. <laughs> that was I mean... <laughs> Most people would never think that going outside would be punishment. Most children would be like, oh, great, we're going to run around. Um, It really was punishment. I remember standing by the wall, by the building, the school building, not really playing. Because I just, you know, for me, I I don't know. There was something really special about the act of making something. And um, this discovery of how things are put together and um, new materials. I, you know, I was fascinated by it from a really, really young age. And then, um, yeah, it, it was something that I still don't know where it came from. I, it was in 
there was no one in my family that was artistic or was um, drawn to it at the neighborhood that I grew up in. It wasn't something that uh, was necessarily celebrated. Although, you know, in Philadelphia, one of the things that I did notice and see all the time were these huge murals that have really have had a, an impact on me, but they were bright and bold and they really represented the community. They really talked about the environment or, you know, the people in the community, but, you know, to be connected to the downtown area was difficult. And I started taking classes early on and I was, you know, and um, it was something that my parents saw that I, I loved. They didn't quite understand it, um, but they never stood in my way. They, they knew that it was something I wanted to do. And so they encouraged it to a certain degree. And um, for me, it was something really special. It was something that I, it was the way that I spoke. And expressed yourself. Oh, fully. I mean, I had spent so many years being invisible. You know, um, as a queer person, I didn't want to be teased or, you know, I, I, um, I stuttered, I had issues. And so I kind of wanted to be invisible. And it was the only time that it felt natural. I, I felt like a, a full person. It was the one time that it was something that was mine, you know, and it was a language. It was my way for me to express myself. And sometimes I, I think about the work that I made then. And, you know, <laughs> it was fascinating to see the way that I was thinking about the world at that time. Do you express those feelings in your, in your current bodies of work? Oh, my God. I, I feel like my body of work the last 15, 20 years has been a reaction, like, um, against that moment in time. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, like, you know, I spent such a lifetime trying to be invisible trying not to be picked on or seen. And I, I felt like if I was able to go to school and no one saw me or called me names or harassed me, that I had a successful day, that I was And so I learned how to walk into rooms without being seen. I knew how to just be so invisible. And, you know, for me, the work that I make now, it, it is about reacting to that, about owning my space, about owning my life, you know, my community, like being present, you know, so it is loud, you know, and, and I don't make apologies for it. No. You know, I, I spend, you know, a good 20 years of my life not wanting to say anything, not making any um, noise. And I realized that that was a safety mechanism for me. And now it is just like, it is time for people to, you know, to see us, right. you know, because right. right. I mean, I didn't see myself anywhere. Wow. You know, and, and for me now, the work that I make, you know, it is loud. It's, you know, my performance work is just as loud, as intense, as passionate. And, you know, it's a reaction to that silence. It's, it's great that you have an outlet. But, you know, I, I am curious about one thing. Actually, we didn't talk about it before, but you, you do teach both uh, undergrad and, and master's. And I'm just curious, do you ever encounter any students that, that you feel um, share some of the same frustrations, issues, 
that you that you encountered as a young person? I mean, do you ever sense that in, in other artists that are studying art? Yeah, I, I see it, you know. I mean, we're finally starting to see us on the walls in museums. We're, we're finally are able to talk about our experiences, but, you know, there's so many experiences um, that have not been addressed or now are coming to the forefront. And I do see it in my students. I, there is this anxiety of um, what is enough, or who am I, or um, am I whole, or is my experience authentic, or is my experience important? And I, I see it, and, and, you know, I, I try to create a space for them to feel open to express those things. And with, with COVID, teaching students during that time, how do you feel that impacted those, those minds, their creativity? It was, it was challenging. You know, I, I really tried to create a space of inclusivity and, and a really safe space. And I really mean that. I, I really, really hope that students can feel that they can express themselves you know, um, without um, hesitation or, or, or um, judgment. You know, I really try to create a space of um, celebration um, and knowing that some do not have that space at home and having to go home um, meant that that space, that community was being dismantled was, was, was challenging. And um, how to keep that going, how to create, you know, encourage them to continue to create and, and knowing that some did not feel safe at home or in their communities and hope to be a support system virtually was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was something that I worried a lot about. I worried about a lot of my students because of it. Um, also, you know, um, one of the lessons that I did try to provide for them was that, you know, as artists, we have to be very flexible, more flexible than most people think. You know, at times, um, workspaces go away and you have to create work at home. Right. Sometimes we don't have the support systems and, and, um, or things are canceled. Um, and so there was something that I, I try to address with them. It's just like, okay, understand that, you know, as a professional artist, you, you will sometimes lose your studio. And how do you continue your practice when you don't have that space? How do you carve up a space for you to make and create? And, um, and so that was some of the things that we discussed, you know, and things that I had to take into consideration again, you know, I mean, living in New York, <laughs> most artists constantly struggle with their studio spaces, you know, it's like we lose them constantly, you know, um, we're lucky when we can stay longer than a year in a space. Um, and when you can, you hold on to that space for your dear life. Um, and, you know, you're constantly hoping that this space would last longer because like, it is such a, studio space is such a sacred space. I'm very private with my space, you know. If you are invited into the space, then you're honored because I don't like people in my space. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I'm very 
I guess spiritual in that way. And I, it just feels like, you know, the air and the energy in my space is really important. And I don't like to disturb that. And I, I wanted them to understand how to create a space for you that was safe at home that would mimic the space that you had at the school. And it was a challenge and I, I knew it was really difficult. And, you know, and I, I also wanted them to think less about what they lost and think more about what they were gaining. Yeah, you got to keep that positive spin on things. Otherwise, there's no way we can survive. So when you first, you know, really got serious, serious about your, your practice as an adult, were, do you recall if there were any uh, particular artists that influenced what you created? Um, I guess, you know, I, I've been always fascinated by the body, you know, um, seeing us, seeing people. And so I did early on gravitate to people that talked about the body and our experiences. And, you know, there were some of them were the, you know, the classics, you know, the folks that are, you know, historically the ones that we look at. And then there were others that um, just thought about life and experiences different. You know, I... It's strange, but I'm fascinated by different by different artists for different reasons. You know, being someone that I consider myself really much an interdisciplinary artist, I'm, I'm like I'm drawn to sculptors, I'm drawn to photographers, I'm drawn to um, painters and performance artists, and so there's there's things that I constantly am looking at for different reasons. I mean, early on, and, and one of my, my, my passions, and one of the people that I've constantly been so much fascinated by throughout the years, and, you know, and I always fall in out of love with artists, like, you know, their relationships that we have. But um, I always loved Velasquez. I, there was an obsession with the light in his paintings. And I remember coming to New York and seeing um, the room of, the painting of Juan, his assistant at the Met. And I'm still, 25 years later, I sit in front of that portrait and um, I sit in front of it for 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like paintings have answers. They lead the way, they tell history, they tell us about us, they mark time. And sometimes, you know, I sit there and I wait for the answer. I'm not sure what my question is, but I think that it will eventually give it to me. There's, you know, there's people that I've been fascinated by throughout the years that I see myself for, like, for example, one that, Pippon Osorio is one that I, I became obsessed with early on and his way of speaking about the community and being an activist. Um, you know, funny enough, I, maybe the last five years I've realized that I like <laughs> work that is quite challenging and sometimes we consider ugly, <laughs> that expose everything. Mm -hmm. I leave everything right there for you. There's a thumping heart that beats at you. And, you know, and with him, I... There's very few people that you see a history, you see a community, and then every time that I see his work, I see my grandmother. Wow. 
I, you know, I, I think of my parents. I, I think of walking through my aunt's like home and seeing these symbols of culture and, and, you know, American and Puerto Rican culture colliding all one together. And this sense of like one and being and, you know, and so when I encountered his work, I just recently saw one at the Whitney and my heart like stopped. <laughs> I just, you know, I've lost my parents. My grandparents have, have gone and, and, you know, I, I, I seek out things that remind me of them more than ever. And when I look at his work, I, my whole being shakes up, you know. Fred Wilson does that to me as well. I, I shake up like that. My insides rattle, you know. And another person that, you know, that I I think about growing up, um, you know, in Philadelphia, you you had to like the masters. Like it was a very traditional city, and, and you know, very much traditional. I remember Aikens like just haunting me. Um, Bacon haunting me. The way I think about sculpture, like um, architecture, I always think of him and my experiences living in North Philadelphia colliding together, and that is my experience. Um, it's this void, this edge doesn't quite make a building. It doesn't quite create a space, but it echoes a space. It echoes a home. And I think of, I see my childhood from the 80s on through the 90s in those paintings. Mm. You know, we um, colliding that body, fighting itself, melting, and and just almost eating itself out. Yeah. Another person that has influenced me, and I love writers. I, I love, I love um, poets, and, you know, there's certain people that, haunt me and mark my life. Um, I remember coming out and the first books I read, I remember uh, The City and the Pillar by Gore Vidal was the first queer book I read and, oh my God, it tore me apart. Um, Giovanni's Room, um, um, James Baldwin has been someone who has haunted me. And I love the word haunted. You know, it's this thing that exists and, you know, it's, it hovers above you. And another person that um, has influenced my artistic journey more than anyone else has been um, Federico Garcia Lorca, the poet and playwright. And I came across his work when I was in high school. And um, I just, you know, at a time I really couldn't understand the language well. I, you know, I, it was beautiful. It was syrupy. Um, Overly romantic, you know, which I was. I mean, oh my God, I remember those dark paintings that I was making. You know, very, you know, you're about to lose yourself that moment. You know, very Tosca, you know, um, you know about to leap off the building. And I love drama, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I love drama and painting. I, I love drama and performance. I, I mean, hello. Um, and so, but with his writing, there was something, there was this, desire to live and feel every moment to be alive. I mean, he writes about death, but the, the writing about death is really his obsession with living. 
and feeling everything. And, you know, it started, I, I kept the book, I actually owned the book. I still have the book that I bought when I was in high school. Like, I don't know, I won't say what year that was, but um, <laughs> I carried that book with me. It has no cover anymore. Some of the poems have fallen out, but, you know, um, the history, the queer history, I mean, the fact that um, this desire to live honestly and live truly and be oneself is the things that I admired in the work. And, you know, I, I had opportunity last year to go to Spain instead of the foundation and just go through the archives. And, um, I mean, I, I, I wept. It was so emotional. I felt like I was alive. Like I, I felt like I had belonged there and I felt so connected. And this is someone that I, you know, I think about all the time. So my works, um, quote the writing. Um, I created performances that deal with um, the last 11 poems that disappear for 50 years. You know, they were banned and, um, and I'm just fascinated by it. But um, there's another thing about it. He wrote an essay in 1934, something like that. And it's about Duendes. It's about just seeking out inspiration and taking everything apart. And that essay is something that haunts me. And I think about it all the time as an artist about how to get to the true self, how to dismantle all the order, all the pretense, all the, all the refineness and trust. I love beautiful things, but how to create something ugly and, you know, and, you know, how to create beauty in that ugly space, how to find the flowers in the garbage, how to find, you know, a life, you know, beauty and a life that people have taken apart or dismantled or not seen with honor or respect. And, you know, and, and it, it, it just is this hunger to be true, to live fully and dismantle all the order, all the things that oppress us. And so when I read it, I, you know, I, I force all my students to read it and, you know, I make work about it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they end up crying. Mm. I mean, it's a really challenging experience. It becomes physical. At times they've broken their work and, you know, and it, but it, it's like, okay, how do you get to this place if you, you know, you're constantly obsessed with everything being precious. So the, your audience and the critics... Do you sense that they uh, appreciate or understand these passions that you share in your work? Oh my God! I yes and no. You know, yes. I I, <laughs> I chuckle because, like, you know, um, it's one of the things that I I think that. Well, I can't speak for anyone else, but I, I can only speak for myself. But it's one of the things that is challenging as someone that you know who is a creative person, someone who makes things, you know, you want people to love and enjoy and understand, you know, but there's other experiences outside of joy <laughs> that need to be investigated, you know? Um, and sometimes some of the things that I'm interested in are not always the most beautiful, like beautiful things and things that people want to um, see or address you know, I'm actually more fascinated by the things that the society doesn't want to talk about, you know. And because that I think that way and I'm, I'm interested in things that society at large might not be wanting to talk about or address, 
um, I have to understand that at times there's going to be a pushback, you know, and that people are not going to necessarily walk up and go like, oh, that was really great. Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> you know, um, actually I'm more suspicious of people saying they love it <laughs> because I'm not sure they understood it. And, you know, um, when I started making largest, uh, like large operatic um, performances, I remember one of the largest when I felt like the audience gasped and they didn't know what to do with it. You know, and I, I was, I was sad. I think I was broken inside. I felt really, I walked away going thinking, well, I think that failed. I think that no one really got it or understood it. And it took like 24 hours, 48 hours. And then I started getting messages and I realized that, you know, it's okay. Um, People have to live with the work. And I'd rather people consume it, take it with them, think about it. I want it to haunt them. I love that word I said before. I want it to haunt them. And I'd rather they sit with it and come back and say, that affected me. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember performing Green, How I Want You Green, which is really based on Lucas' uh, last living poems. Um, which, you know, were released after he was assassinated. And I performed that in St. Croix and the great um, master's house um, at the Wind Plantation, which was the largest um, sugarcane plantation in St. Croix. And um, really, you know, um, I wanted to change the energy in that space. You know, my crews are people of color, brown, black folks. And it was really important that we address the history. and. And I had a friend call me and say, what did you do to my mother? And I didn't, real, I didn't know that her family was visiting the island, but apparently they, you know, she said, oh, you know, my friend is an artist. He's, he's performing his mom, her mom, sorry, went to the performance and apparently called her up and she was crying hysterical. She was really having a hard time with the performance. And, and my friend called and said, what did you do to my mother? <laughs> my mom was weeping. And, you know, and, and it was just one of those things where it's just like, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. So that's what art does to us. It's, that's what it's supposed to do to us, right? I, I want it to rattle you up. I right. want you to want it and love it and not know why. I want you to be engaged with it and fight all of it and yet can't stop looking at it. You know, And that's been some of the pushback at times with the work with some audience you know, in certain places, I've seen it. And, you know, I've had curators come back and said, oh boy, some of your paintings really cause us there. I mean, usually men, men have a really difficult time with my work mm-hmm. um, in certain communities. Uh, there's been a pushback at times. And, and that's okay. It's okay. You know, because like, for me, it's like, it's okay. They need to see us this way we need to be represented the community needs to be seen this way and you know this is part of who we are and you know it might not be what everyone wants to see but it needs to be seen it needs to be talked about we are not invisible and we won't go away we're here and you know um 
I mean, there's been times where people have come back and said, you know, can I write this? <laughs> and my guru told me that they've asked for my phone and my email because they need to tell me about me. <laughs> how dare I paint people of color this way, especially men. Like, you know, how, you know, how could I? Uh, and it, now I chuckle and, and I own it now. I, I'm okay with it. I, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm, you know, it took a long time for me to get to that place, you know, for me to perform or um, to put up work up that ruffles folks feather. And, you know, one of the things that I think that, you know, in my work, when you, you see the work, you know, it, it's just that it's vibrant. The colors are lush. There's this lushness in it that, you know, you want to look at it. And I love, I, I want to seduce people. And, you know, in that seduction, it allows you to fall into it. And, and I hope that you walk away from it with something more than just luscious, you know, color or representation. I, I wanted to sink into your consciousness and hope that it would change the way that you see us and perceive mm -hmm. us. And so, you know, um, um, you know, at times, like I said, um, some get it and some don't. Um, um, I appreciate it when people can talk about the work. I realized that um, as I'm maturing in my, my work, um, there's a sense of poetry that people use to talk about my work, and I love that. That's something that I, I'm learning that I love because of having to find a new language, a new way to talk about the work is quite beautiful. It's amazing. I'm loving this conversation. You've answered the question I'm about to ask, but as it pertains to your community, what what would you like your work to impact or change? Oh, God. We get erased all the time. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by history because um, we have a way of thinking that, oh, we weren't here or... You know, we go to school and we talk about American history and we're like, they don't talk about us, you know? Mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast of someone who is, is a poet who just, I'm blanking on his name, of, of, but received the MacArthur and he was just talking about the fact that, you know, he sat in, um, in a history class and they talked about the Vietnam War and he grew up in Vietnam, so obviously it had an effect on him and the history of the country. And then he talked about it being, a, you know, a half a page. <laughs> and he was just like, that is it? Wow. That is what my life comes down to? A half a page in an American textbook? You know, and history has been defined by others, and we're constantly being erased, you know. I mean, one of the things that I, I find fascinated by Lorca is the fact that the work was banned. You couldn't read it. You, it wasn't, most of the books that we know are actually were published in like either Cuba or Argentina and um, in other countries, not from Spain because, you know, the work was banned. And, you know, um, there's, you know, there's this, this, this long history of wanting to erase what we do or our contributions, you know, and for me, I hope that when people walk up to the work, they see themselves, that it makes it impossible to erase us. 
you know, because um, I, I, I want that maybe in 50 years, 20 years, 50, 100, if this plant is around, um, that someone walk in and, and look at one of the paintings and can't just be like, who's, who's this person? Why? Why was it important for someone to document this life? Or, you know, this posturing, this gesture, this power of ownership and being and, and ever so owning all of this beauty and space. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to have a platform to allow you and other people like you that share a passion, a deep passion, to share your voice and, and haunt us. <laughs> Uh, haunting is a good thing because it sticks, you know. <laughs> yes, I, you know, music and writing and words. I, I love that. I, I love that. And I, I just, you know, our, our community, our queer, brown, black community, our history, just to be seen and heard forever, and our contributions to this culture. David Antonio, I want you to take care. I want you to keep producing work, and um, and and, and I'm uh, yes, and haunt haunt us, please haunt us. But uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.